4: Tuesday morning, the 9th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Sinn Féin is calling for radical action to be taken in the private rental sector. As a first step, it wants a ban on evictions to be re-implemented. A previous ban was lifted in April of last year. In the first six months of this year, close to 3,000 people were served with a notice to quit. Close to two-thirds of these terminated notices were served in the three months between April and June. In the last year since the ban was lifted on evictions, almost 6,000 people have been asked to move out of uh, the accommodation they've been renting. Let's uh, speak to Ono Bryn, who's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on housing and a a TD for Dublin Midwest. As we've been hearing over the last couple of days, Ono Bryn, a big part of the reason for this is that landlords, uh, private, accidental landlords, landlords who typically have one or two properties, have decided it's not worth it anymore and and they're deciding to sell up.
2: Well, I'm not so sure if it's that uh, simple. So, first of all, we've been losing properties from the private rental sector for the last four or five years. The ban on evictions that was introduced during COVID led to the most dramatic fall in uh, uh, homelessness levels that we've seen for several decades. Uh, uh, but uh, Bryan's decision to end that ban last April has seen almost a -a month-a-month increase. Some of it is accidental landlords. These are people who never wanted to be a landlord. They were either trapped in negative equity or they inherited a property. They're obviously taking advantage uh, of of the high house prices and they're selling up. Uh, There's another group of landlords who were never really interested in so much the rental yield. What they wanted was a lump sum on the sale of the property, you know, on or close to pension time. And again, because of high house prices, those people are also selling up. But also it is the case that landlords uh, uh, and landlords organisations also have a range of other concerns with government policy. The the problem, however, is is that this exit is disorderly um, and in the absence of government providing an adequate supply of social and affordable housing uh, and indeed student accommodation uh, for young people going back to college in, in September we've got this perfect storm where the private rental sector is shrinking, government isn't doing its job in terms of the provision of social and affordable housing and many of the people who are getting these notices are and are going to end up presenting as homeless and therefore the reason why I wrote to the Minister and requesting this urgent meeting with landlord and tenant representatives, the Residential Tenancies Board and opposition housing spokespeople is to look at this issue and put together a crisis intervention plan, not necessarily to stop landlords selling. Many landlords are going to continue to sell uh, but to try and find a way to, to limit or mitigate the negative impact, particularly on families uh, 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 and single people who are being forced into home. Okay,
4: does that not result in uh, separate uh, and different negative impact? Uh, there's no doubt that there's a housing crisis, or as the President said, it's a, a disaster. Uh, but if the upshot of all of this, uh, regardless of the reasons, is that landlords are selling their properties, who's buying them?
2: So there's a range of answers to that. Obviously, in the first instance, many of them would be bought by owner occupiers, first time buyers, and other mm. others. Pe- um, people
4: who are uh, renting? Not necessarily. Well, rent, well, uh, well, quite often.
2: Well, not necessarily, because the, the figures from the Residential Tenancies Board up to the end of last year shows a very dramatic reduction in the number of properties available to rent. So that wouldn't suggest that you have a group of renters who are buying and freeing up other rental properties. I mean that 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 will happen in some cases, but it's not happening across the board.
4: Mm. We've also seen but for people, I mean, the point is, I'm making is that for people who are are looking to buy and are renting it at the moment, this is probably not such a, a bad news story, is it?
2: No, but uh, displacing one group of families to house another group is not a good approach to housing policy. But uh, but it's taking people
4: out of the rental market. If you have fewer renters uh, and fewer rental properties, that's probably for the greater good, is it not?
2: Michael, the, the, the straight answer is no, because what we are seeing is month on month as notice to quit increase uh, uh, and a lack of social affordable housing supply from government, people are becoming homeless. And therefore, if the immediate result of this is more and more adults and children, and in some case pensioners, going into emergency accommodation. That is not good. Uh, For individual people who buy individual properties, Mm. it it might be a positive story for them. But in aggregate, it's bad. But also, what we really need is is for government to start to finally realise for far too long they have been over-relying on the private rental sector to meet social and and student accommodation. That's why we need an emergency intervention now. And there are things government could do immediately to alleviate some of these problems if it was mindful to do so.
4: Well yeah we'll talk about that in a moment including giving tax relief uh, to people who are uh, uh, getting other people to buy their houses for them but if you're renting a house and I'm renting a house uh, and you decide to move uh, out of your property because uh, houses come available to you that you can buy and I get evicted surely I can move into your house and that's the way you would look at the aggregate of this is it not?
2: That's That's not what's happening, Michael. So the data that we have from the Residential Tenancies Board does not indicate that there is an evening out uh, as renters become buyers freeing up other rental properties. The private rental sector is shrinking In the four years up to the end of last year. We lost 20,000 rental properties from the sector. The Residential Tenancies Board hasn't released figures yet for this year, but obviously the data that we have uh, uh, that I received from the RTB on Friday shows, that's accelerating. Our private rental sector is shrinking. And government failure on a number of fronts isn't providing the alternative accommodation for people to move in. For mm. example, mm. a third of all private renters, 100,000 of the 300,000 private renters, uh, are social housing tenants living in the private rental sector subsidised by Happen and RAS. That was never sustainable. And the government's failure to provide adequate social housing for those people is now coming home to roost because many of those are the people uh, who are are uh, losing their rental properties and becoming homeless and mm. end up an emergency yeah. accommodation. And in some cases... Families with children, or singles, or in emergency accommodation, two, three, or four years because they simply can't get anywhere else to live.
4: Uh, and we've learned this year of uh, two hundred million underspend uh, on capital spending uh, in relation to social housing in three months of this year alone. Twenty-eight percent behind.
2: Of, one, one of the things that just beggars belief is. Many of the landlords who are issuing notice to quit uh, are willing to sell the properties with their hapless tenants in situ to the local authority. In fact, yesterday mm. on the foot of, of the, the media coverage of this story, I had a number of landlords ring me. They're all decent landlords, all who charge reasonable rent, all who are getting out for for their own reasons. And in the first instance, they contacted the local authority—one in Dublin City and one in Meath—offering uh, to say to leave the long-term tenant of the property and sell. And in both cases, the local authority refused. Now, I'm going to pursue that with those local authorities separately. Yeah, but it is permissible under government rules for a local authority, so as long as the property is the right price and in good structural condition and meets the needs of the family, uh, to purchase a property where a hapa tenant is in situ and has a notice to quit. No money should go unspent this year in the housing budget. And if there are issues and problems in terms of the delivery of new built social housing, uh, and many of those problems are caused by the Department of Housing and Public Expenditure Reform, then use the underspend elsewhere in the housing system to ensure people do not become homeless. Because if they become homeless, the cost to the exchequer, as well as the cost to the individual themselves, is far, far greater.
4: All right. And the Daily Mail reporting today that Dara O'Brien, the minister, uh, is asking local authorities to explain this and to buy a properties when they're offered to them.
2: Yes, but this was the very same minister uh, who refused for almost two years to change that rule. It used to be uh, that this tenants' in citrus scheme, as we call it, was widely used right up to 2019. Owen Murphy brought it to an end. Dara O'Brien sat on his hands uh, in 2020 and mm-hmm. most of 2021. And it was only early in this year under pressure from myself and others in the opposition that he changed it. But here's the problem. While he said to local authorities they can purchase, he is not pushing them to do so. And local authorities are reluctant because there's another government policy which wants them to spend all of that capital that you've just mentioned on new builds. The difficulty is the approval process that is uh, imposed by the Department of Housing and the Minister on local authorities to deliver new built homes is far, far too bureaucratic. And it's slowing down the delivery of new built homes. So... Mm ultimately we need more homes built. Uh, We can't have a social housing program. There's no
4: doubt about that. As part of this disaster and just going back to that other point, uh, in lieu of building new homes, uh, and uh, I think uh, people would be very cynical uh, about the figures that are being presented to them uh, and how this will be solved uh, by government plans, but in lieu of that actually happening, if you box off this property for the rental market, uh, it's going to become all the more impossible for people to buy houses, isn't it? People will tell you already there's nothing there that they can afford.
2: Exactly, and and that is why we need government to dramatically increase the direct investment in delivery of affordable homes for people to rent or buy. This year, the government's targets for affordable rental are are about 700 homes. For affordable purchases, about 450 homes and they're nowhere close to meeting those targets according to the latest figures I got last month. We need at least 8,000 affordable homes to rent or buy, delivered every single year, uh, funded by government. That is really the only way to tackle this issue. Displacing social housing tenants in the private rental sector to enable people to buy is not good housing policy. Delivering large volumes of genuinely affordable homes for young people uh, 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 and people at a later stage in their working lives to be able to buy or rent affordably is the right solution. And and again, that is something government should do now. Not just new build homes, but we need to be using far more of the vacant properties right there, often quicker and cheaper to turn around and bring uh, uh, back into use. And we need to be exploring use of high-grade, good-quality new building technologies, many of which are manufactured off-site rather than built on-site because they are quicker to deliver uh, than more traditional builds but also can meet the exact same building uh, control and fire safety
4: standards. Okay, Rupert. The most challenging year ahead, uh, I think, after a decade at least of very challenging years. Uh, I don't know how anybody's going to find anywhere to rent uh, if they're starting in college this year. And then you have uh, the obvious elephant in the room with uh, the refugee crisis. As part of that, 3,000 people are going to have to move out in September from uh, student accommodation. Uh, and it, it appears from the Irish Times uh, this morning that there's another 1,200 on top of that. So you're talking about nearly 4,500 people. People all of a sudden, uh, on top of the figures that we're already looking at, looking for accommodation.
2: Yeah, and the Refugee Council of Ireland have made a very, very sensible suggestion in writing to write into government some months ago. Uh, what they've proposed is is for government to make an appeal to holiday homeowners, people who have a vacant second or third property, offer those people a 12 month licence agreement to give them a basic administrative payment of four or five hundred euros a month uh, to take uh, uh, refugees. That is a very sensible idea, one, because there are 60,000 of such properties. So if we only got 5 or to 10% of them, that would mm. be three to 6,000 homes that would house three times that number of people. Uh, but also they are properties not in the housing system. So you're not putting Ukrainian refugees, or indeed any other refugee, in competition with students, With homeless families, with families looking to rent or buy affordably in the housing system, you're ensuring that your emergency accommodation for Ukrainians is provided outside the mainstream housing system.
4: Okay,
5: but why not give them twelve
4: hundred or two thousand a month for uh, renting it out like that? Uh, I mean, you're asking people to be charitable uh, when, uh, on the other hand, you're looking for tax breaks for landlords.
2: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm not looking for tax breaks for landlords, but we can talk about that in a second we are asking for people to be charitable. Uh, anybody who's watching the scenes uh, of Russia's Putin and Ukraine uh, would want to be charitable. And what I'm saying is, particularly from September when the holiday season is over, if people have vacant properties, if those properties yeah. are available, and we're only looking at a small percentage of them, uh, I think a licence agreement and a modest administrative payment would yield... Uh, uh, properties to provide good quality emergency yeah, accommodation.
4: I, I think what, in fairness and with respect to, you, I think what you made there was a completely inaccurate space, uh, statement in that people don't want to be charitable. Uh, the figures just aren't there to support that. People aren't coming forward in the numbers necessary to uh, uh, to offer accommodation like that.
2: Well, no. Be very clear. Uh, uh, the government made an appeal for people to open up their own homes and share their own homes, uh, and in fact, very very many people did that. Uh, what I'm saying is, there is a specific category of property out there, uh, uh, mm. holiday homes, 60,000. And again, I don't expect 100% of those or 50% of those uh, to come forward. Mm. But if only five or 10% of the owners of those properties came forward on the basis of a 12-month license agreement and an administrative payment, that would take an enormous pressure off the government's to attempt to provide sanctuary for okay. people fleeing the war in Ukraine, and I think that's something worth pursuing.
4: And that, that license would cover damage, uh, it would cover maintenance, it would cover tenancy rights?
2: Yeah, well, the, the whole point of a license agreement is, is people don't have tenancy rights uh, because it's a temporary accommodation arrangement. It's commonly used, for example, in emergency accommodation for uh, homeless services. And it would give the owners of the property legal certainty and clarity that they would hand over the property on this date, return it on a, a, a set agreed date, and the property would be returned in exactly the same condition that they got it.
4: Okay. Talk to me about uh, tax or the idea of reducing tax yeah, uh, that landlords so,
2: are, are paying. So the, well, the first thing is, does a group of landlords who aren't paying any tax on their rental income? That mm. has to change. So when you hear me talking about reform of tax for yep. the landlords, In the first instance, it's saying to the institutional investors, predominantly in Dublin and the commuter belt, the fact that they pay no tax on their rent roll or or capital gains is wrong, and that's creating a lot of resentment with single property landlords who do pay tax on their rent roll and capital gains, so that has to be addressed. Separately, landlords representative organisations themselves have said they believe that there needs to be a reform of the tax treatment of landlords. I'm not convinced, but given the depth of the crisis that we're in uh, and the loss of properties, I'm open to hearing what they have to say and one of the reasons why I raised it in my opinion piece in the Irish Examiner yesterday mm. is to say very clearly if we have that crisis meeting with uh, uh, the department, with landlords and tenants organisations, the RTB and opposition spokespeople, let's put everything on the table. Let's discuss through everything. Uh, and if policy proposals, whether from tenants organisations or landlords or the opposition, make sense and help alleviate this crisis, then let's support them. Uh, I have yet to hear a convincing case from the landlord's organisation of what tax reform would look like. They talk about it all the time, but they don't necessarily have concrete uh, and published proposals. But let them bring the proposal to the table. And what I am saying very clearly is we are open to considering anything that helps us stabilise the private rental sector and crucially prevents people from becoming homeless. Ultimately, the solution is large-scale social and affordable housing. That's what we need to do. But in the meantime, let's put everything on the table, discuss it, and try and slow down the disorderly exit of semi-professional and accidental landlords from the market and the consequent rise in single-person and family homelessness.
4: OK, and as you wrote in the examiner yesterday, the people sitting around that table should uh, be those who represent tenants and landlords, the RTB, Government and Opposition TDs uh, for that matter. Ono Bryn, thank you indeed for joining us as always on the programme. That's Ono Bryn, who is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on housing, a TD for Dublin Midwest.
3: Michael, Michael Reid on, on LMFM.
4: Now you've been hearing about uh, these uh, four trees destroyed in Dominic's Park in uh, The assistant park's superintendent with Louth County Council, who planted the tree, says, I-, I don't understand why someone would do this. The mindless vandalism of these trees is to be condemned. And uh, there was a lengthy statement referring to all of the benefits uh, that we as human beings get from trees uh, as part of the planet that we live in. Somebody who's obviously very very passionate about their work and very upset by what's happened in the park. Let's speak to the Mayor of Drogheda Labour Party Councillor Michelle Hall who's on the line. Uh, Do you understand why somebody would have done this? My suspicion is uh, that whoever did it thought uh, it was good crack.
6: Yeah, exactly. Hi Michael, how are you doing? Good good crack yeah, it's just you know, a couple of friends out. That's what I think as well. Uh, let's do this for the crack. It happened here actually in um, Termite Second there a couple of years ago, and um, they put out some trees, uh, planted some new trees. Three of them just on the corner, and they were broken overnight. Like you know, yeah. So uh, a bit of crack, but mm. it's it's. You know, it's so discouraging for the hard work that goes in from the council staff as well. Um, You know, they're looking to make the area look really well, and they do. The wildflowers down there look fabulous. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful place to walk along the Bowen Greenway. Um, So this is just a bit of a kick in the teeth, I think, for for the council staff and and for everybody else.
4: Yeah, and all the planting ar- ar- around the town—I mean, it really is a, a credit to mm. the council. Uh, some of uh, the plant boxes and that uh, do really look superb, and of course, there's a great job done a- in the park uh, as well. Uh, this isn't the end of the world, but it, it says something about the mindset of uh, some of the young people. You'd have to assume it's young people who who did this, who are living in the town.
6: Yeah look, we we don't know, do we? Um, you know, and you don't want to give young people a bad name either, um, but I just can't see the point of anybody doing that, unless mm. somebody was very drunk at night and thought, <laughs> felt very strong and wanted to, to push over yeah. some trees or something, but it's it, it, from it's what just I saw it, there like
4: I, I it, yeah. didn't, didn't see the trees I saw the pictures and they seemed to be cut in half and from what I saw now they're not the biggest of trees but from uh, they would have been little more than seedlings really wouldn't they uh, big, yeah they would
6: have quite a good yeah. little trunk on them there like yeah. you know but, so but they would need, have needed you'd need tools
4: you'd need tools I think to cut them in half the way they have been rather than or else be very very strong
6: well if there was a few if there was a few people doing it as well yeah um you might be able to get uh, brute force to push it over I'd say mm-hmm. um I mean they they did look like they were a couple of years but um still know that they were still small trees yeah
5: yeah, um, yeah.
6: but yeah it's it's something that Obviously, the council are looking to address to put in more trees around the town. We are very lucky in Drogheda, actually. If you're coming down George Street, you have a beautiful vista of just greenery the whole way. We've been very lucky that we kept a lot of the trees around Ballsgrove, around the Denora Road, the Dale as well. Yeah. Fabulous green coverage there that we need to maintain those as well, as well as planting new trees. But the council also own a lot of land around the county that really could also, rather than just, you know, we have our lovely trees along there, but really look at improving the amount of um, tree coverage that we put in our county and natural woodland, which we are really missing in Ireland, you know?
4: Mm, Yeah. Um, I suppose it's something that's always going to happen, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you're always going to have this type of mindless vandalism.
6: Well, it's interesting. I was on um, a cycle study tour with councillors and engineers in Utrecht in the Netherlands recently. And there was beautiful trees, there was a lot of playgrounds, um, very open, none of them in behind fence and anything like that. And I said to the um, one of the tour guides who was um, an urban planner for 40 years, and I was like, how do you get to the stage here now where, you know, nothing is... Um, it's closed off, it's all open to the public. And he's like, well, it's a natural surveillance. If it's not closed in as well, um, there's ownership from the people. And we just kept on doing it. So that's the thing, like, the trees might be broken this time. We keep planting them. We keep putting in playgrounds. We keep putting in amenities for people. Mm. And it'll just become the norm then. And it won't be, um, like you know standing out as yeah. those four trees maybe like we're standing out on their own it, it looked like an invitation to mm. be done we've more and more and um, there's going to be less need for vandalism, i think um mm. and also more things for young people to do if we plant more or if we put in more play and recreation areas for young people in the town
5: yeah um
6: we right. do have a dirt at that and that is something that i've been banging on with the council you okay. know looking to address um outdoor facilities for youth as well
4: all right um Uh, I I just wonder uh, if making a fuss of it, as we are here, and we're probably more guilty than anyone at the moment, um, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I mean, I suppose the last thing you want to do is make these people famous and and, uh, give them the inspiration to do something similar again.
6: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that is one thing. um, But I mean, we do have to address it as well. Um, But that's just get on with it, more trees, and we'll see what we're doing. If it's not working, if the trees get broken again, maybe we need to look at putting in wildflowers. Those seem to work really well. Maybe it's just not going to work in that area. But as I say, we do have a lot of Kent land that we could be looking to put in, a lot more woodland anyway. Um, So, you know, be very
4: practical about these things yeah well there's nothing you're going to do if uh, people want to break down the trees they'll break down the trees uh, and there's nothing you're going to do I mean it's not like you can put CCTV cameras in e- everywhere and it, it would defeat the purpose of uh, that uh, nature environment uh, of having um, stuff like that growing uh, as you say leave it for a while and they'll soon forget about it I mean these people probably don't have the, the, the sense to remember it uh, in a week or two from now let alone a year or two from now
6: yeah you know um, as as i say like you know if we the more we plant, the more we um, improve the area. like Look at the, all the flowers that are planted mm. in the town, and nobody ever touched them every summer. Now, I hope nobody touches them now, mm. because we're saying no that we're going to jinx it, Michael. Mm. Well, I've, I've seen a few uh, of them people, touched. you know, do respect no, that I they understand I, that it looks so well.
4: Yeah, I've seen a few of them stolen, I think, and um, probably brought back to someone's home by somebody who thought they were nice, and I really thought we're it was hope they dreadful them if they thing. do dreadful <laughs> thing. Dreadful. But even yeah. recently,
6: mm. I had um, a mayor from Poland over from um, an area called Stavaguda, and he was visiting family here. Yeah. and his wife we, I brought them around the town and did a walking tour and his wife was Compton how beautiful all the flowers and mm. all the businesses as well we were up Lawrence well, Street near the Whitworth yeah. Hall yeah. and Robert yeah. Daly's yeah. and you know she was really admiring how beautiful we do yeah. have the town so sometimes when it's on our doorstep we don't appreciate it maybe yeah. but she was um, very much saying how, how beautiful the town looked yeah, well, in there's some gra- areas there, not there, everywhere there, you there, know there, yourself.
4: There's a great tradition and uh, indeed a great skill when it comes to hanging baskets I, I think in, in Drada. but when it comes uh, to ruffians destroying things like this I, I don't think it washes But people when you say give them more to do does it?
6: No it probably doesn't um, I'm not giving them an excuse I'm definitely not giving them any excuse but we do have to address that there's very little for youths to do in Jogheda. That is one thing. We have a skate park. It's quite small. It's quite hidden away as well. Um, you know, there's nothing really in the centre of town for them to, to do. Uh, I can't like what? I can mm. see them hanging mm. around. Yeah. Um, in a lot of places you would have open basketball courts. Mm. Um, I was going by, I think, Clonus yesterday or the day before, and they would a huge, big basketball court and uh, mm open football grounds in the centre of the town yeah. and the playground right beside it.
4: You wouldn't be worried um, that they destroyed the basketball court. Yeah, of yeah. course, of course, that <laughs> yeah. is the
6: thing, but yeah. you just keep on doing it and we can't have the mindset that we don't install things because we're afraid of vandalism. That's a defeatist attitude and um, that will never get us anywhere. We just have to persevere. And as I say, it's not just good enough having one playground in town. We need loads of playgrounds around the town for people. Um, we need loads of facilities for young people as well. Mm. Now, the Boomerang Cafe put on amazing um, stuff and they really address loads of different things in the town, like different interests, whether you're into film, you're into music, uh, socialisation, whatever it is. Um, we do have some great youth services in the town as well. Um, but look, at, I'm not excusing. I, yeah, I yeah, don't... Yeah. Um, it is absolute mindless vandalism. It's, it's ridiculous. There's no need for it. And especially along the Bowen Greenway where you have so many people walking mm-hmm. out to Old Bridge House. We're so happy to have that as well. Um, but we just get on with it. We plant again and... Uh,
4: you know, they so say. Okay. Isn't. All right. Very good, Michelle. We we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank okay. you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the program uh, this morning. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, the former president of uh, the United States, Donald Trump, has been busted. Quite literally, the FBI have carried out a raid on his home at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the news came to the Trump family first through Donald's son, Eric, who spoke to Fox News.
7: I oh, was, well, Sean. In fact, I was the guy that got the call this morning, and I called my father and let him know that it happened. So I was involved in this all day. And, you know, welcome to politics in, you know, in the, in the you know, 2000s. Um, Sean, my father never got so much as a speeding ticket in his life, you know, until he made one decision, and that's to go down the escalators of Mar a Lago and spend a lot of money and go and actually fight for this country for the first time. And he did a better job than anybody has ever done. And they started coming after him. The Washington Post, the day he won, 2016, the day he won, November eighth. That night they wrote an article. This is when impeachment begins. He wasn't present. He hadn't been elected for less you know for five minutes at that point. And they start, this is when impeachment begins, and then he's impeached the first time, and then he was impeached the second time, and they slandered him, and they belittled him. You know, they went after him, they went after all of us. There's no family in American history that has taken more arrows in the back than the Trump family every single time. And you know what, it's gone on past politics. You look at the attorney generals, you look at district attorneys all over the country, all they wanna do is they wanna get Donald Trump. They raise money on it, they send fundraising emails about it, they brag on camera about it, they go after him, they subpoena him. I'm probably the most subpoenaed person in the history of the United States. Every single day we get another subpoena. And they do it for one reason, because they don't want Donald Trump to run and win again in 2024. And, Sean, that's what this is about today. To have 30 FBI agents, actually more than that, descend on Mar-a-Lago, give absolutely you know, no notice, go through the gates, start ransacking an office, ransacking a closet. You know, They broke into a safe. He didn't even have anything in the safe. I mean, give me a break. And, and this is coming from what, the National Archives? Yet, you know, Hunter Biden, he's a firearms crimes, uh, prostitution, illegal drugs, um, you know, shady deals with everybody around the world. And by the way, it's all on his laptop for the whole world to see in his own writing, in his own words, corroborated by everybody. Where where are these FBI agents? Where where is everybody? Why is it that the arrows only fly at Donald Trump and his family? Why is it that the political persecution only goes one way in this country.
4: Oh my bleeding heart. It is very hard not to feel sorry for the Trumps, isn't it? The former President Donald being raided. That's his son Eric outlining how he heard about the raid, first of all uh, to Sean Hinty on Fox News and then he told his father. Donald then uh, made a statement uh, saying that there was a large group of FBI agents on his estate under siege, raided and occupied after working, cooperating with the relevant government agencies He said This unannounced raid In my home Was not necessary Or appropriate They even broke Into my safe As you heard Eric say there uh, And Eric had his own theories As to why this was happening
7: The purpose of the raid From what they said Was because The National Archives Wanted to You know Cooperate uh, Whether or not Donald Trump Had any Documents in his possession And, and my father Has worked so Collaboratively with them for months. In fact, the lawyer uh, that's been working on this was totally shocked. He goes, "I had such an amazing relationship with these people, and all of a sudden, on no notice, they sent you know twenty cars and and thirty agents." Sean, I mean, this this is just more political persecution of Donald J. Trump.
4: And Sean Hannity of Fox News wanted to know what they might find.
7: I don't know. They'll probably find a note from me telling him how proud I am of him and what a great job he was doing as president. They might find some pictures of my kids, maybe some nice you know, headlines, uh, maybe a nice note from you, Sean. Um, It's insane. How many times can you cry wolf? I mean, the FBI dragged this whole country through hell for three years based on lies and deceit and dirty dossiers and FISA warrants and everything else, right? And everything proved to be incorrect, fraudulent, made up, an absolute sham. They dragged this country through hell. And here they are again, raiding the guy's house. I mean, when, when do you give up? When do you say enough's enough? When do you give a human being, you know, who fought so hard for this country, when do you give them the benefit of the doubt? It's got to stop, Sean. I mean, this is third world, banana republic stuff.
4: Banana republic stuff. Uh, that's uh, Donald Trump's son, Eric Trump. He was speaking to Fox News.
3: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. On LMFM. <laughs>
4: Guarantee we're policing the roads over the August bank holiday weekend. I think that's clear from uh, the statistics uh, that uh, they've uh, published. They carried out 810 mandatory intoxicant testing checkpoints. At those checkpoints, they arrested 173 of the 810 people that they tested. 110 drivers were arrested for allegedly drink driving and 63 drivers were arrested for allegedly drunk driving. There was also 2,937 detections of speeding over the same weekend. Let's speak to Susan Gray who's the chairperson of the Park Road Safety Group. A very good morning to you Susan and thank you indeed for joining us on at the programme this morning. Uh, that really is a very high percentage of the number of people who were stopped who were found to
8: be over the limit isn't it yeah and it's great work by and for the long weekend to be out in such force especially when we only have 696 members in the roads placing now mm. well that was the figure we got from Minister for Justice to Catherine Murphy for the end of June. Okay. We have under seven hundred members in the roads policing. So that's great work. Um it's worrying though to see that over a long weekend, over a few days, they are catching so many mm. that are either drink driving over the limit or drug driving.
4: Well, what it's about—about one in five of uh, the people stopped, uh, maybe a bit more than that. One hundred and seventy-three out of eight hundred and ten who were tested were found to be either over the drink limit or had taken drugs and decided to drive, allegedly at least.
8: Yeah, but that's over a very short period. They did Mm. checkpoints over just a few days over the long weekend. Mm. Can you imagine? My it just shows that. It shows the extent of the problems that's out there. Mm. That they can catch over a few days, so many. Now, that was a long weekend. Far too often we see them out and force for long weekends. And then you don't see half as many checkpoints. People need to see the guards out there, not just at the long weekend, Michael. Mm. Every Mm. weekend. You have to have the fear of being caught. Otherwise, no amount of road safety authority campaigns will ever take the place
4: Mm.
8: of people actually seeing a guarantee out there.
4: Okay, I suppose that's the point I was trying to make. If one in five people tested were found to be intoxicated, does it follow that one in five people who are driving on the roads at any given time are intoxicated?
8: Well... I don't know if you could say that. But, mm, but it's shocking know, to think it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's mm. scary. But what we do know without doubt is there's a huge problem out there. And the Gardaí need to be out in far, far bigger numbers between checkpoints. And likewise, the authorities say they're very worried about the rise in road deaths this year compared to the it's just rising, we yeah. have 100 dead now. 100 precious lives lost in our roads. Mm. 20 of them was motorcyclists. And we're only in the beginning of August. Yeah. Last year for the whole year, 137 died. Mm. So... Yeah,
4: how, how many people are in wheelchairs? How many will never walk again? How many yes. how, how many will there never walk injury. and talk again? Yeah.
8: Yes life-changing injuries, horrific and rehab for years. Yeah, we need to see more guards. You ask anybody, Michael, mm. how often do you see a checkpoint? How often do you get stopped by a guard? Mm. You know, the long weekend's just not good enough. If they're serious about road safety, get the guards out, get them to seen, get people talking that Mm. there's guards out everywhere they will change their like a lot of these people if they're found guilty for drink driving, drug driving it'll be an automatic ban and yet you and I and everybody knows that a lot of them's driving, a lot of people that's disqualified are continuing to drive mm. so there's no fear, they're going back on the roads a survey has to be done by the road safety authority how many people having been disqualified are going back in the roads driving? How many of them have been caught and taken back to court? And what's the penalties in court? These are the sort of surveys and research that the
4: Have you any idea, Susan, why people do it? I I mean, you talk about the 100 lives lost and people injured, life-changing injuries uh, for many people uh, as well. But why do people take such a a risk? I mean, we've known now... For decades, uh, that uh, you're driving as uh, impaired if you're intoxicated in any way, whether that's with drink or more recently with drugs. So, you're not just putting other people at risk, you're putting yourself at great risk, uh, uh, including the risk of dying as a result of making that decision. Why do people make
8: it? I'd say it's uh, a lot of different reasons. Some think Nothing will happen to me. I'm a good driver. Um, some I'll never be caught. There's no checkpoints out there. Some even if I am caught and disqualified, I will continue to drive. And there's no—I don't think there's any real deterrent. There's some very good people out there who are abiding by the laws, and it's so unfair them to the selfish people mm. that are continuing. To endanger people's lives by mm. drink driving, drug driving, speeding, mm.
4: speeding—nearly ne- 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 three thousand people uh, found speeding. Eighty people, hundred and eighty, sorry, found using a, a mobile phone, and forty-seven people not wearing a seatbelt. Can you imagine getting into a car and not putting on a seatbelt?
8: Could you imagine and the mobile phone like yeah. uh, that? Beggars' place. It's Mm. such a dangerous. Or could you
4: imagine speeding on a mobile phone and not wearing a seatbelt? Because you'd have to assume some people are doing all of these things, and maybe a couple of drinks on them at the same time.
8: Yeah, Um, it makes us think that they aren't. The authorities aren't really, really serious about road safety and reducing the road, the deaths in the road. Because it's not rocket science. Everybody knows the biggest deterrent is the thought of being the chance of meeting a checkpoint, the chance of a guard stopping you, and the chance of actually losing your licence and having to do without your car. Now, the said did an interview. I was looking through my notes there when I was preparing for this interview in 2018. What do you hear with the Road Safety Authority mm. about perception? Um, I will be honest with you. Road Safety is all about perception. Enforcement is about perception. There doesn't have to actually be a checkpoint when you're driving home from work or if you're out socialising. It's the fear or perception of whether or not you believe there may there will be a checkpoint or enforcement on the road. All it will take is a number of checkpoints and a number of high-profile cases to be published for the message to get through. Sorry, no, people are not fooled. Like that statement toss is showing such disrespect to people's intelligence. People seeing the checkpoints at the long weekend will not change their behaviour the following weekend because... Most people know that's a long weekend over now. We can go about an our daily hmm. driving behavior because we probably won't see another checkpoint until the next long weekend in October.
5: Okay. Well,
8: so perception, it's not about perception, yeah. it's about people actually seeing the guards out there. Um, And
4: realising as well the danger to themselves and to others. Maybe people listening to us this morning might take that uh, on board. I've run over time as usual, Susan. uh, Okay, Michael. Thank you very much indeed. And good as always to talk to you. Thank you indeed. Susan Gray, Chairperson of uh, the Park Road Safety Group.
3: Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM.
4: If you're 66, uh, you may not want to hear this, uh, but they say that uh, you can expect to live for another 17.48 years. Uh, That's according to the Central Statistics Office, and I'm reading that to you from uh, the Irish Independent today in a story by Charlie Weston, which says that if you defer taking retirement until you're 67, which is part of uh, the proposals for reforming pension payments by the government, Uh, you won't live long enough basically to gain from that uh, this is, <laughs> It's bizarre stuff uh, 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 and almost comical. Michael Taft is a researcher with uh, the SIP2 Trade Union. A very good morning to you, Michael, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. They're saying that uh, uh, your pension is worth €13,470 to you over the course of a, a year. So if you wait a year, you lose out on that and it'll take you uh, it, until you're into your 80s before you can recoup it.
9: That's correct. The Commission on Pensions uh, recommended that the uh, people could uh, defer their pension up to the age of 70 uh, and then uh, receive what's called an actuarially neutral. In other words, it wouldn't cost the state any more on on, on average lifespan to provide a top-up to uh, pensioners uh, for each year that they have, have postponed. Usually, it's considered like a 4% top up. But actually, the article is correct, uh, or at least it will be correct for a lot of people mm. uh, because uh, they will, uh, you know, it will take them years to make up uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that, that what they've lost, given that they're deferring their pension. Now, a number of countries... Are experimenting with this and it might uh, uh, you know the government might wish to actually look at what those countries are doing what success they've had what are the incentives what are the uh, the, the barriers but uh, there's no doubt that a lot of people wouldn't want to take that risk because one they don't want to gamble yep. and you know he certainly doesn't nobody wants to gamble over how long they're going to live and those who say no thank you very much I'll start taking uh, uh-huh. uh, the, the pension
4: now. Well it really would be
0: You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50
9: Um, well no you 'd still be working you know if you were working, you would still be earning your salary you know your wage so you you wouldn't lose out on that it 's just that you wouldn't get the additional uh uh pension. On top of that, Mm. you would defer it for a year or two years, however long you want, up to the age of 70, Mm. and then then you would get a top-up. I think there's there's probably a more, uh, in terms of uh, financial incentives, there's probably uh, something more that people would be interested in, and that is the recommendation from the Pension Commission uh, that uh, if you work beyond the pension age, you will still be able to accumulate contributions. Right now, uh, once you hit 66, even if you work on, you can't add to your contribution record. Yeah. uh uh so uh they're saying that you should be able to so for every year that i may work on and get a, a, a you know an additional year of contribution records that's worth about three hundred and fifty to four hundred euros a year yeah. uh so that people might say you know especially those with a low contribution record or people wanting to try to get it up to, to max it up as to, to get the full uh the full pension they might say well yeah that that's a good thing i'll you know i'll, I'll work and continue Continue, uh, to amass uh, contributions. So that might be a better financial incentive for a lot of
4: people who are in the workforce. Okay, there's a, a question of, of fairness about this proposal in the first place, isn't there? In uh, that uh, somebody will be far fitter and more able to work until they're 70 than others will be. Uh, and it will also mean that some people will be retiring On the lowest of the five pensions, because it'll go from 66 up to 70 uh, and a different pension rate at each year. Uh, But somebody will be retiring on the lowest rate of uh, the pension after possibly working for 40 years uh, compared to somebody who retires at 70 on the highest rate after maybe working for 30 years.
9: That, that's correct. Well, that will depend on under the new system of total contribution approach. Uh, that would depend on uh, we're moving to a new system uh, whereby your payment is linked to the actual number of years that you work. But you actually put your uh, you actually uh, state a uh, an issue here. For a lot of people, they won't be able to take advantage of working beyond the age of 66 because of the nature of, of, uh, of their work, what's called owner's occupations. And I think I've been on talking to you about this yeah. uh, before. You know, we kind of think of the classical construction worker. Uh, but there are so many other occupations which are physically and mentally uh, demanding, which people won't be able to or to feel that they're not capable uh, of continuing to work. So for certain categories of workers working to the age of 70, is it's fine and mm. you know good. You know they should have that flexibility in the public sector. Uh, workers have a right to remain in work until the age of seventy, and that's a positive, yeah. giving people flexibility. But for a lot of people, they won't be able to take it take advantage of that.
4: Okay, so I'm I'm al- always amazed watching bin men. I, I don't know if you've watched bin men working, but they run. They seem to run from the moment they start work till the moment they clock out, as well as lifting or pushing the bins over these days to the lorry. And, you know, I'm a good bit off 66, and I just wouldn't be able to do a day's work like that. I just wouldn't be fit enough to do it. And what what happens if a bin man gets to 66? And as you'd assume in this country, because of the housing crisis that we're in. They're renting a property and they feel that they can't afford to retire. Do they work themselves into the grave?
9: Well, that, that is that is a problem and that has been uh, noted by uh, a, a number of studies. A lot of people feel they have to continue working uh, because they're either in low-paid occupations or, as you say, uh, and this will happen in the future, people, uh, more and more people, uh, uh, older people, will not, own a house, they will be renting, you know, given the current housing uh, situation. So, yes, they will be – it's not that they, you know, that they will opt – to work longer, they will be forced to work longer. And that's something that we really haven't, uh, uh, we really haven't, uh, uh, you know, put our finger on because uh, we've talked about uh, a low wage economy and that one in five uh, people, well, one in five workers are officially categorized as low pay. But one in five over the age of 50. Nearly one in five is also low paid, and that's you know that's uh, for many people uh, they will say well these I've just got mm. to continue working uh, uh, regardless of the strain it puts on them etc. Uh, you know there's one mm. thing you were saying at the uh, uh, in your in, in your introduction uh, about the uh, 17 years. Mm being the uh, lifespan. But the World Health Organization and the EU Commission also have a complementary measurement, which is called healthy life years. And healthy life years tend to be about 50% of your uh, life expectancy. So people might only expect to have 8, 9, 10, 11 years, depending if you're a man or a woman, uh, healthy life years. Mm. So what we have to do is we have to create uh, social policies which allow people who want to remain in work to stay in work, yeah. but also those who need to retire early can still access their full pension, those who, for instance, have a full record. Uh, And again, the Commission on Pension uh, 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 recommended this, uh, that people can retire early if they're on a full record with their full pension.
4: Mm. Yeah, and uh, we don't want to do something uh, that uh, would have public health problems. Uh, People shouldn't be working against their doctor's uh, advice. And if you were to... Uh, see people working up till they're 70 uh, surely you'd have to do things in tandem with reforming the pension like reforming sick pay and disability payments Uh, if uh, somebody has uh, been told uh, that uh, they've gone past it for medical reasons they have a heart problem let's say for example uh, well then surely they should be able to retire at 68 years of age
9: that's right I mean uh, uh, now obviously in any kind of right to remain beyond the age of 66, uh, there are health and safety considerations, not only for the person working, but also for the people that they work with, because depending on the occupation, uh, there might be implications for the safety of others. I mean, you know, that, that's what you would have structured into a new system. But uh, the point is, and this is this is something, uh, this is part of the proposals that my own union SIP2 put to the Commission on Pensions, there should be these flexible pension ages. Uh, Not flexible in the way the government's working out, though, not dismissing that. Mm. Uh, But those who want to remain on work should be allowed to remain in work. Those, because of uh, onerous situations, uh, they've worked an entire lifetime, you know, possibly from the age of 16, 17, in many cases, they should be allowed uh, to retire early on a full pension. But another key aspect of this is that while the government has said that they want to benchmark pension payments At 34% of average wages, they have never hit that benchmark in the last 10 years. And it would take an increase of about uh, over 40 euros a week in the pension to reach 34%. So we also, on top of these issues of flexibility in terms of people uh, retiring, we also have to address the issue of pension adequacy.
4: OK, Michael, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. As always, it's much appreciated. Michael Taft, researcher with uh, the si2 Trade Union. I think that headline from the Irish Independent uh, this morning will upset a lot of people, especially men who are 67. Two out of three men will not live long enough to gain from deferring their retirement age to 67. Food for thought, isn't it? Mairead Indrohada, thank you indeed uh, for calling the programme uh, today. Maraid says uh, the crisis in housing uh, is getting worse. In the rental sector, it's getting worse. Every day you see people on social media desperately searching for a place to move into because their landlord is selling up. They're not There is not enough social housing being built and people are desperate at this stage thank you as I say for that thanks uh, to, to John Navin who says we're never going to solve the housing crisis, he, he saw a piece in the papers recently uh, about uh, land bought by Meath County Council in Ashburn they were planning to build social housing on it but local residents were protesting with placards and so on uh, and he wonders how will we ever get on top of the problems when local authorities are thwarted in the work that they're trying to do to provide uh, accommodation for people People. Eamon No Party says, Hi Michael, I think the government should be building two bedroom houses for people who now find themselves in three or four bedroom houses, which are too big for two people. Their three or four bedroom house could then be given to families who have three or four children. Thank you, Eamon No Party. Pat McDade in Drogheda is wondering if Owen O'Brien of Sinn Féin, who spoke to us earlier in the programme, is still renting himself. I don't know the answer to that, Pat, but thank you indeed uh, for your text, as always, to the programme today.
3: Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM.
4: Now, calls now uh, this week uh, from Sinn Féin in Mead uh, for a public tra- transport uh, policing system and indeed uh, there's a-, a lot of concern about what's happening in particular on uh, the buses in particular uh, about uh, the NX service in Navin it's a- an issue uh, that was raised not long ago it has to be said by Alan Law's independent councillor who joins us now we had hoped uh, Sinn Féin would be uh, available to come on with you Alan but they're not uh, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us all on uh, the programme uh, this morning. As I say, you've raised uh, a lot of concerns about the behaviour on people uh, on buses and indeed if other people are safe getting onto the buses because of what's going on on them.
10: Yeah, I was contacted by uh, Dermot's colleague, Stephen Nugent, from the National Executive at the M D R U And as outlined on your show, uh, Michael, it was, you know, a devastating kind of uh, sequence of of serious incidents that took place at both the NX and the town service that we outlined on your show. And people listening to your show, your listeners, must be afraid now to to get on the buses. And, And what we need, the only way as a public representative or in a climate emergency we know the public transport system is going to grow and as a public representative I'd like to encourage people to go out and use and use public transport and the Mm -hmm. only way I can do that and that will be successful if we if we if uh we Form a uh, uh, dedicated to transport police within the Garda Shia That will give people the confidence and that, that would help us encourage, as public representatives, people to use the buses more. But mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, mentioned it that to that you. It now.
4: I, I mentioned it to you the last time, Alan, I, I think the old conductors. Uh, but uh, I've been thinking about that uh, since, uh, and there was uh, uh, a system for policing the buses, and it had nothing to do with Angarda Khan years ago, and that was the conductors, uh, and they kept everybody uh, in their place. If there was a problem on the bus, they stopped the bus, called the guards, then fair enough, and got whoever it was off if needed.
10: But as you know, then like you just said, like there was two men then mm. together on a bus, but it's not fair again. You know, any, any type of private security company or to expect a bus driver, even if you put a conductor on a bus now, to be able to handle this with a level of violence that has increased over the last 20 years. And we've listened to, you know, Gamer of the NBRU, and we've listened to SIP2 as well to raise these issues over the last 20 years. Because unfortunately, Michael, we're living in society now where violence and antisocial behaviour is, is on the rise. And the only way to address that is to have the police force who have the power of arrest I was a guard of reserve there for myself for four years, operating in Kells. And well, there seems to be a little bit of cross-party support in the Doyle for this, uh, Michael. We need Minister McEntee. These incidents that was outlined on your show is happening in your constituency. And the only the only thing we need for to do now, and we need it to do it urgently, is to set up that unit, that transport police. And we need it to do it now, because again, we're in a climate emergency. We need people, more people, to be using the transport mm-hmm. system. And the only way they'll do that, Michael, is to assure them that they're safe
4: hmm. Right um, is it just that uh, there isn't a police force uh, on the buses uh, is that the reason why this well, uh, behaviour is happening but but uh, yeah. if it wasn't happening on the buses though would it not be happening somewhere else
10: Yeah look again all of us all of us hmm. are citizens of the country here and all of us would like to see more police and more guards on the streets um, but what happened there on, on the incident that was outlined on your show when the driver, uh, seeing the incident escalating on yeah. his bus, he called the guards. And at the time, they told him that it'd be two hours before right. they get yeah. to him. Yeah. Now, that's not the, that's not the guardie ignoring the situation that's involved. That's the guardie with a lack of manpower. Now, if you had a dedicated transport police unit, we they would be there to answer these calls straight away. And that's what we can't have. Bus drivers, men and women at bus errand, going to walk in fear. We need to give them the support, and we need to give the members of the public the support, and, and the support that they need, that they know that they're safe on the bus, and we have a dedicated unit that will answer these calls immediately. Mm. You know, that's what we need, and the only way to get that is to have your dedicated unit. Uh, and again, I'll call on Minister McIntyre. These, these incidents that we outlined on your show are happening in her constituency, mm. Michael, and we need it to respond. And we need her to respond quickly, and I hope that maybe you can invite her on the show afterwards, to see what she had to say on the subject.
4: Mm. It sounds like anarchy.
10: Again, my mother, that bus that you're seen with the wind is, uh broken on it. my yeah. mother uses that every day, Michael. She's 88 years of age. Mm. Now, I'd be terrified to think that she could have been on that bus. Um, it wasn't late at night. I think on memory, I think of something around 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the evening. You know, you have old men and women using that bus, you have mothers with children using that bus and we need them to be safe and we need that reassurance that uh, the transport unit would give them. Mm. Uh, and we need to do it, Michael. Um, you know, again the unions, like the likes of Dermot, have been calling for this mm. for 20 years Action need to be taken now.
4: Yeah, Dermot O'Leary of the NBRU who was uh, due to join us were not uh, able to make that connection unfortunately at the, the moment, Alan, uh, will continue yeah, trying. No um, but uh, I mean, there's 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 bad behaviour um, uh, to different uh, extents. I mean, you have that very serious incident of the windows being put in. Uh, p- how close was it to the guard station?
10: Again, that was just say like five hundred meters. from yeah. on the guard station at the time, and at the time on your show. Yeah. Uh, and you have to compliment the quick thinking bus driver. Yeah. He, he, mean, he got his passengers off the bus when he seen the danger and the, the, the level of violence rise. He got the passengers uh, to a safe place, fair play to him. And mm. um, maybe, and at the time I said to you that, oh, you know, in that situation, and if that was to happen again and the police can't get to you, if you're driving the bus, then maybe I drive would straight. suggest to the drivers to drive into the guard station mm. and in that way he can get help. Because yeah. again, he needed help okay all let's things
4: let's things. let's use that example right because that's a very a very very good suggestion in an extreme case like that uh, but somebody is being verbally abusive uh off their heads uh, threatening uh, what stage do you drive into the garden station
10: well i suppose when the threat of violence is present it's as simple as that uh, michael you know again I'd imagine the, the, the members of a bus and the drivers are experiencing kind of verbal abuse a lot of the times. So yeah. And I'd imagine that they, they let it go in the sense that if they were to respond, maybe it aggravates the situation. And they have to put up with that, yeah. putting up with drug use on the bus well, every day. Well,
4: OK, that's, uh, I was going there. to ask you, if somebody's smoking cigarettes and they won't stop, do you drive to the Garda station? If someone's smoking a joint, uh, do you drive to the Garda station if they won't stop?
10: Well, I suppose what what you're dealing with here, we're dealing with professional men and women, that drive the buses. And in in that instance uh, itself, I mean, all right, the bus driver didn't go drive to the bus station, but he did get his passengers to safety. So he used his own initiative and compliments for him. And I suppose that's what we have to do. That's what the bus drivers are are putting up with every day and Um, having to make these decisions every day. I'm sure. The interest of safety for them and their passengers. And, And so far, like they're all doing their jobs but it's it's really it's really not not welcome to have people going to work and fear all right. I mean, that bus driver going to work the next day.
4: They have to protect their passengers and, and indeed, protect themselves. Uh, Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the NBRU, is on the line now. Uh, that's the National Bus and uh, Rail Drivers Union. Uh, very good morning, Dermot, and thank you, indeed, uh, for joining us. Uh, would it be true to say that the problems experienced on the NX service in Navin and the town service are, are, are not much different to the problems that your members are experiencing every day across the country?
11: Yeah, look, I mean, we've been campaigning for quite a while, as you know, Michael, I mentioned on this show many times, dedicated Guard of Public Transport Division to deal with issues that we destroy with the council here and being fed back to us by members. Uh, and there are, certain, there, there are issues in Navin uh, over the last while, in particular for some reason, uh, although we do believe that the change of the route alignment, uh, the bus used to go through Cabra uh, out to Navin Road, uh, and out that direction at one time it goes a different direction, I don't know, and that's probably, we believe, contributing to uh, some of the problems being uh, people from outside Navin into Navin, and there's a particular problem along the Abbey Road in Navin. Uh, the council will know about there. But certainly, I mean, even since last September, you have a driver being chased uh, by a, an rate passenger. Um, the passenger was uh, either on the invisible drugs or drinking, and was refused entry. Uh, another situation that September, the guard uh, had, to, a passenger had to be a taser, believe it or not. Um, and then we had to share a drug addict passing out uh, with a knife in his hand that uh, bus drivers being smashed through July, or bus windows sorry, been smashed through July, drivers threatened with violence, a female driver abused in July, a uh, constant drug use in the in, in the area. Uh, and again, look the Guardian doing their best with their current resources. But when we when we reach out to the Guardian, lots of cases, they don't have the resources on hand to help us. So we do believe that dedicated Garda public transport division you won't get a guard available for every problem on every bus and every train for that matter. But certainly the fact that the guards exist and there's a consequence to this type action being described by me and the council there. And fed back to us, Uh, if there was a consequence, that would help alleviate the situation.
4: What about a conductor?
11: Uh, Look, we've we've been through that debate back in 1987, 88. And a conductor, similar to a security person on the tram or the train, doesn't have the powers of detention, arrest. You know, that's what's needed here. There needs to be sanctions as well for frontline workers across all sectors, health, the where fire brigade, the Guardian themselves, and anyone that attacks a frontline worker uh, should have a mandatory sentence applied.
4: Right. Yep. Uh, I'm sure the drivers know uh, when there's trouble coming. Uh, they know a lot of these characters. Uh, do Or can they ban fellas from getting on the bus?
11: I look, they, they, you can do that, but I mean, these people, the not thing I know, bus driver saying, you know, there are certain bylaws there, but they're, they're very rarely invoked. And one of the other issues, I suppose, in bus here in particular, uh, exclusively on bus, is that Air and lots of their fleet don't have protective screens. And that's an issue we've been pursuing with the company quite a while now. And, of course, the part of the problem we have is that when we're dealing with the company, the company has to go and deal with the National Transport Authority. And, again, the people know me well will we know that I'm highly critical of that organisation, not because they exist, but because they don't engage with people like me and people that represent workers, uh, and they have a hands-off approach. And the employer, in this case Buseam, and other employers across the transport sector, from my uh, top of work, I've uh, kind of been fair they're like a subservient child to that authority, and politicians listen to this, need to take note of people like me and others that are calling for, you know, the NTA uh, to be brought to the table and speak to people like me
4: mm. and other
11: representatives of frontline workers.
4: Okay. Um, it seems like a silly question. Do they pay their fare and then get on and start this trouble?
11: Yeah, well, look, by and large, okay, well, it's a mix of both, actually. I mean, yeah. People do get on the bus, you know, they get on the bus, uh, not in and necessarily, uh, appear to be okay, but should the influence of drugs in lots of cases, take drugs on the buses, a uh, driver trying to deal with that, and then trying to, you know, uh, cam out a passenger zone. It's you know, an unenviable task, and it uh, causes a lot of said there, uh, these people, pe- we represent our professional drivers. Mm. Uh, they are responsible. I mean, they have a lot of, they have a lot of responsibility on them. Uh, they're not police people. They're not guardies. Uh, so, look again, and I've been saying this many, many times. Uh, our politicians that are we elect to legislate are yeah. they actually waiting for something to go seriously wrong or serious injury or even worse before they do something? And just on this one, um, of, we, we speak to politicians on a regular basis on a national level and indeed local level. And the, the answer back to us and indeed the parliamentary questions I've seen the performer answer is at oh, the Garda commissioner doesn't think it's necessary. Well, Michael, you, me, and your listeners. Uh, didn't elect the governor, the governor commissioner. We elect politicians to legislate. Sometimes they don't do it very well, and sometimes they do.
4: Mm. Okay, um, w- what is expected of a, a bus driver if somebody tries to come onto the bus and is refusing to pay their fare?
11: Well, again, look, uh, again, look. Some bus drivers. Uh, it, it's one of those things you have to think in your feet. Yeah. That circumstances that, that that present. You know, it, it might be more beneficial to the driver and indeed other passengers. If someone was left forward, and that's a sad indictment of the society we now live in. That people that to be here like that can
4: be low
5: travel but, you
11: know
4: okay like. i'm asking you that because i i thought because i mean uh, we're talking about commercial operations basically but if people aren't paying their fares uh, uh, you've got a serious problem and i thought there would be clear instruction to the drivers not to proceed and make well, sure that doing that doing person that, doesn't that, travel point, and if that's that the case yeah, if yeah, that yeah. sorry just to make the point there if yeah. that's the case uh, then you'd wonder uh, how is it that people can get onto the buses and cause all of these other problems
11: Oh, well, look, so, so, some, some people are going to buses don't have to pay fair, eh, Michael, you know what I mean? They don't have to pay fair by virtue of the fact that they have other means of, of being able to travel. Uh, and and I think, <laughs> you you
4: travel know, pass and other reservations.
11: We're not talking about old age pension
4: Yeah, you know, no, you know, I know. Yeah.
11: We're not talking about them here. You know, let's be very clear on that one. Yeah. But certainly, and it's not a commercial service, by the way. It's a public service obligation. It's a service that's it's supposed to be in rightly uh, supplied by the state yeah.
5: Uh, yeah, to carry yeah,
11: yeah, yeah. people around. Yeah. So, look, listen, this, not, this problem is not going to go away. It's going to, mm. exactly. it's going to get worse in fact, right? And the evidence we have uh, from across many uh, transit or transport uh, police across the world that this type of behaviour does reduce when you have a force in place a dedicated force in place it's the experience that it does reduce uh, and of course serious crime you'll never deal with uh, you know to eliminate I should say okay. it's definitely the type of crime we're seeing here it has been more or less eliminated, certainly reduced in other jurisdictions.
4: OK. Uh, I hope you'll forgive the naivety of some of my questions. Uh, but uh, okay, r- they just final questions and they're,
11: they're, 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 it's the routine daily for the bus driver. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously, most people pay their fares.
4: Well, that's well, what I mean. Most, m- the, most people don't understand this. They, they can't understand how it's going on. I mean, you wouldn't dream of getting on the bus. Uh, you'd be afraid of getting arrested uh, uh, maybe in an extreme case but at a minimum you'd expect that you wouldn't be able to travel on the bus.
11: Yeah, realize the problem. There is no uh, fair yeah. because there is there is, there is no uh, dedicated uh, uh, police yeah. resource to deal with that type of stuff and <laughs> okay. again you and I growing up, if the thought yeah. of a girl calling to our door to our mother or our father would be abhorrent and we would yeah.
4: be terrified for that. Type I, I see, I'm still back <laughs> in 1987 with the conductor <laughs> but yeah, that's another day's work Listen Dermot, thank you indeed. Alan, thank, thank you as well Thanks very much thank indeed you. to both of you Dermot O'Leary is the General Secretary of the NBRU Alan Laws, Independent Councillor on Meath County Council
3: Michael, Michael
4: Reed on LMFM. Two words you probably never want to hear again. Covid and Brexit, of course. Yes, well, both are featured in uh, the latest report from uh, the Central Statistics Office, which are the results on what they call the global value chain participation for 2020. And the CSO is saying that an increased regulatory burden due to Brexit has impacted on 54% of businesses and 2 in 5 or 40% of enterprises had difficulty sourcing raw materials or intermediate products from suppliers abroad due to COVID-19. Hard times indeed these last few years. Let's speak to Paddy Malone, the PRO with Dundalk Chamber of Commerce and a very good morning to you Paddy and thank you indeed. Oh,
12: you uh, can I just say before we get before we get into this, uh, the, your ad previously that was ESB networks for the whole country. Uh, my own area of Haggerstown and Hainstown is out until one o'clock with a power cut. So just okay. keep, people, uh, keep people informed locally.
4: <laughs> very good, okay. Well, not very good. Uh, quite the opposite, I'm sure. Uh, if you in Town, but uh, thanks for that uh, but uh, this report uh, it's quite stark uh, to think that 54% of businesses have been uh, impacted uh, by regulations as a result of Brexit, is that uh, of any surprise to you?
12: No, none really No, I, I would make the point Michael that this is concerned with large companies fifth, over 50 employees but whether it's a small one on operation yeah. or a 50, or a company over 50, we, we're, we have all got this in the neck. That's the only way to put it. Uh, Brexit was a bad idea from beginning to end. Uh, it has caused immense problems, regu- regulatory mainly. Um, and if it wasn't for the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, these figures would be a lot starker
4: right uh, and it's red tape uh, basically speaking in terms of trade and slowing down trade and people's ability to trade and whether that's for bigger companies who have 50 uh, employees or more that impacts on the whole economy doesn't it
12: oh it does i mean i mean if, if you might be a, a person who works in a comp for a company that's employing six or seven but that that might be supplying a company that's slightly bigger and bigger and up to the top uh, up to the top so the food chain when it gets damaged or, or the, the, the Economy, when it gets damaged, everybody gets damaged by it, you know? And sometimes the bigger companies will be better able and better resourced to handle it rather than the smaller companies. So that's why, you know, the Chamber would be having a focus in relation to the smaller businesses and trying to support. And can I just say that Enterprise Ireland uh, the local Leo office, St. Thomas uh, McAvoy, and the work that he's doing there, and also Intertrade, which is an organization that we in the South don't get. It's for the entire island, not just the border counties, based in Uri, but the work that organization does is absolutely incredible. Uh, so the message we have for all our members and, our, and the business community in general is there is the information out there use the resources that the state has put in, whether it's Intertrade or the, or the Leo office or Enterprise Island, but use those, use those resources to beat this problem. But what's happening is, and it's very interesting when you read the, through the statistics, mm-hmm. Michael, that a lot of businesses are now sourcing materials and sourcing everything from outside of the UK. Okay, So that's the main shift and we've seen it in terms of transport and the amount of shipping that's going not just from Roslea but from Dublin and Cork as well. So you know the uk is losing out on all of that business
4: yeah it is uh, but it, it continues uh, to be the uh, most popular of, of all uh, in terms of sourcing material which is of no surprise uh, of course uh, but there's uh, no surprise in the ongoing stalemate uh, about the northern ireland protocol as well
12: well <laughs> You see, the problem you have there is you've you've got some people thinking of of ideology, and you know whether, whether, what the nationality is, and you have other people trying to talk common sense and business, and it's a bit like a square peg in a round hole. Either, both sides are talking about different things, and. You know, the, the problem is that the Northern Ireland Protocol, the whole EU, it's not a political union that's been drived at. It's an economic union. That's what mm-hmm. it's called, the European Economic Union. And that's the message that has to be got across, that this, is a, this can be a win-win. And what's interesting that I see now from Northern Ireland Manufacturing and from other companies in the north, there is this realization now that Northern Ireland, because of the Protocol, has a win-win situation, not because anything that Westminster did, but because the Dublin government and the EU, and to a certain extent the, the, the Washington, looked after Northern Ireland better than it did it, the, than London did. So there is a win-win situation. So the message I would have for businesses, both north and south, whether it's Sundark or Newry, is keep the protocol in place, keep telling the political guys that that's what's working, and that the regulatory red tape is not affecting north-south trade. That's the most Mm. important thing for our our point for you. And we can see it in the figures. I mean, the the, level of activity between north-south is over 20% higher than it was pre-COVID. That's a remarkable turnaround you know, and it's an indication that there are alternative suppliers, so you don't have to be buying from, from the guy in Manchester. You can be buying maybe from the guy in Logan or Portadown. Yeah, and
4: 35% are, are buying from uh, the EU and that's a uh, business loss to the UK, uh, I suppose. Uh,
12: yeah, yeah, and, and, and let's face it, if you're dealing in one currency, it makes it's, it's easier to deal with. If, if I'm buying product in, from a, a company in France or Germany and I know what the price is in euro, mm. I can price my product going out the other side, whereas if I'm buying in sterling or dollar, I have an extra cost and an extra worry to worry about.
4: Mm, absolutely. Uh, and uh, what about uh, Boris Johnson's departure? Will that have any impact on national policy?
12: I think the only problem is that well, from the flame pan into the fire, listening mm. to Liz Truss, mm. Does not fill me full of confidence. The woman has flip-flopped on absolutely everything that she's been asked in the last nine months. Um, I just don't know where Britain is going. I, I really don't. I mean, the you know the, the party that produced Churchill and other world leaders uh, and was able to lead the lead the world at one stage it might be hard for some Irish people to say that, but you do got to recognise the guy. But looking at what it what it what it is now, it's, it's a shambles. Yeah. You know. Um, so I I, I I would not like to see my neighbour getting a, 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 into trouble, uh, but unfortunately I think that's the way it's going. Richie Shurnack, well,
4: you well
12: know, I I would have had some hope on the economic side, but you know the, the statements of. What about Kieran
4: Starmer? Because uh, it's not just uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol or, or Brexit uh, that's uh, of concern to. The politicians there or the people that they represent uh, because it's a country that's uh, facing into a huge increase in the cost of living. Uh, inflation going up towards 13% I think.
12: Yeah yeah and unfortunately I'm of an age where I can remember the 70s only too vividly. I might have been in college but I, it, it felt uh, I felt it in my digs, I felt it in my flat in Rathmines when I was you know the, the cost of living and the strain on my parents Um so, I mean, look, the, inflation is an awful problem, and once that genie is out of the bottle, it's very, very hard to put it back in, mm. whether it's in the UK or whether it's... I mean, We might be a few percentage points better off than the UK, but that genie is going to cause problems for every single person, and those on fixed incomes like pensions yep. and other people, they really do have to be supported. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know one of the things that, that I would hope to see would be that the Chamber itself would be responding to you know, helping people as best they can, or at least trying to show some flexibility in relation to pricing but mm. it, you know but we have on our own members as well that's the problem sorry our own employees mm-hmm.
9: that's our problem.
4: yeah you but, know? but well there, there, there therein lies another problem does it not uh, because it's not just people on fixed incomes that you get worried about when inflation reaches uh, these figures because inflation is quite often followed by recession and recession then quite often leads uh, to other problems like uh, redundancies uh, and unemployment uh, and uh, people then uh, find that their income has stopped and I think that must be one of uh, the biggest concerns yeah, and one, of the, of one of the
12: problems with, with the redundancy issue and it's not been raised by, by the politicians the rules would change several years ago in relation to redundancy payments in the past if an employer couldn't pay it uh, sorry, if an employer was given a rebate of 40% of whatever the redundancy payments were because they were paying P.R.S. employer PRSI now the employer PRSI rate went up slightly but no, but the cover of that 40% was removed. So effectively, it was just simply an extra cost that was, low, was laying on employers. And I know from the point of view that as an accountant, you, you would sometimes come across a client who can say, I can't afford to make Joe redundant, mm. you know, because yeah. I, I can't afford to pay him. Yeah. And I don't have the redundancy package. But when, and instead of maybe doing it slowly and in incremental changes, said of that, it's a tsunami that hits the company in one go, when it's more than one or two people being laid off. So, that is something that I've not heard anybody talk about, any politician, but it is one that worries our members.
4: Okay, well, we've lived through some hard times, some more it would seem ahead of us. I have to leave it there for the moment. Yeah, Patty, just can I, I say should, yeah. that
12: the number of jobs coming into the NDOC and into the M1 corridor in the recent past has been phenomenal, and thanks to the IDA and EI for the for what has been a very strong 2022 so far. So far it on a positive note Absolutely Michael.
4: good stuff thank you indeed Paddy Bilone Piero with uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk
3: Michael, Michael Reed on
4: LMFM Time now as is usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk as usual there's a, a number of incidents which uh, Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Garda Patrick Gill of Trim Garda Station joins us for this week's report and we're going to begin in Boy, where Garda are investigating a burglary that occurred on the main street
13: Yes indeed Michael and good morning to yourself and your listeners. So Gardaí and boy they're investigating a burglary from an electronics store on the main street of the town in the early hours of yesterday morning the 8th of August. It was uh, approximately 10 to 2 in the morning one fifty am A uh, display window was broken and a number of high value electric, electronic items excuse me, were taken from the premises so, Gardaí are appealing for anyone who may have information that may assist them in their investigations to please contact Apple Boy Garda Station on 046-943-2201.
4: OK, uh, we go to Trim next. Uh, dreadful uh, behaviour, it has to be said. A, a car was egged, was it?
13: Yes, that's correct, Michael, and it it, it beggars belief how people see this as some sort of entertainment, but unfortunately this is the case It happened last night in in Trim uh, on the uh, Patrick Street area of Trim, approximately 11pm a vehicle was egged by persons unknown at this time, so we're appealing for anyone who may have noticed any suspicious activity in the area around that time Please contact Trim Garda Station on 046 948
4: 1540. Okay, uh, as you say, somebody might uh, deem that to be entertainment, uh, but Guardy take it very serious, must be very serious for whoever had to clean up their car after those hoodlums, uh, but you'd consider that to be criminal damage?
13: Yes, it would be a criminal of nature, you know, the, just the nature of it that the intent to damage property not belonging to someone else would be, sure. would be classified as that. So uh, we're appealing for anyone who might be able to assist us and apprehend uh, the suspects.
4: Okay, next to the theft of a, a number of items uh, from a, a car in Ashburn. Yes,
13: yeah, so this occurred overnight between last Saturday the 6th and last Sunday the 7th of August, so... Uh, recently enough this weekend gone by. So Guardian Ashburn, they're investigating the theft of a number of items from a vehicle that was parked in the car park of the Snailbox Public House in Kilmoon. It's believed to have happened that they mentioned between the 8pm on Saturday last the 6th of August and 12pm on Sunday afternoon last the 7th of August. So we're obviously appealing for anyone who may have information or witnessed any suspicious activity. During this time we're asked to please contact Garda, sorry, excuse me, Ashburn Garda Station excuse me, on 01 8010
4: 600. Alright, uh, to Lady Rath Wilkinstown next and a, a burglary that occurred uh, last Wednesday afternoon.
13: Yes, so and unfortunately it's, it's well documented these uh, incidents of this nature are happening and we, we always appeal to someone, anyone that may notice uh, suspicious activity to, to contact us but in relation to this incident, Guardian and Navin are investigating a burglary, as you mentioned Michael which occurred in the Lady Rat area of Wilkins Town on Wednesday, the 3rd of August last sometime between 12 noon and 12.30pm, a man entered the house and spoke to a resident, an elderly gentleman in his 70s uh, the, the person who called the house, he was carrying a sum of cash in his hand, which he claimed to have found, and he wanted to know if it belonged to the resident. Uh, he then, unfortunately, went into the other rooms in the house and took a quantity of cash before leaving the house on foot. And anyone, we're really strongly appealing to anyone in the area who may have witnessed this or um, any information that can assist Nav and Gary in their investigations, please contact Nav and Gary station on 046 <laughs>
4: Okay, for our next report, we're going back, uh, I'd say, four weeks in time. Is it three, four weeks in time to the 19th of uh, July? uh, And a fire that uh, occurred in Trim that you'd be very keen to get some information
13: about? Yes, Michael. It it happened about about three weeks ago today, in, in, in fact. So ourselves in Premier were investigating that incident. It took place in a building known locally as the Old Saint Mary's Primary School. So it would have been left abandoned for a number of years. So it hasn't been occupied. Uh, and as I mentioned on Tuesday, the 19th of July 22, Gardaí were called for reports of smoke coming from the rear of the building. Uh, with the assistance of the fire service personnel, it was a small fire which was contained and subsequently extinguished. Now, we we're of the opinion that this fire was started initially and we're appealing to anyone who may have been in around the Patrick Street area in the hours leading up to 10pm uh, or have any information at all that may assist us in our investigation. to please contact Trimgaard Station. Zero four six nine four eight one five four zero. 46
4: Okay, and uh, I know uh, that you wanted to talk about the glorious weather that we're all uh, enjoying, and uh, uh, I suppose that's one of, uh, of the things to keep uh, in mind in, in this weather uh, when it, it comes uh, to fires and starting fires, or barbecues and things like that spreading. Uh, but the, 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 on Gardaí Chia Khan, uh, hoping that everybody enjoys the good weather safely.
13: Oh, absolutely. We're, we're all for good weather. It, it increases the, the humour in everyone around the place, and it is great to see, and long may it continue. But as a sort of a direct add-on to that, it's important as well we ensure that people are mindful of their own safety and the safety of others while enjoying themselves. Of course, there's no issue with that. They're well entitled to do so. But things like wearing sun cream, making sure you're keeping yourself hydrated, driving safety on the roads. I know the sunshine can be a bit of a glare on the roads, but if you ensure that you have the correct sun, um, eyewear, sunglasses that have the, the correct UV protection, and obviously ensuring water safety. You now, the number of beaches and lakes in, in the in the and Mead division, so it's important that just the safety is maintained at all these um, locations and these are all vital in ways with which we can ensure that this enjoyment is, is, is availed of, uh, as I say, during the during the coming days. But always, if uh, people want to find out any more information in relation to any of these, this advice, we recommend visiting the Garda website, garda.ie, hse.ie and watersafety.ie. Very good.
4: Tag you indeed Garda Patrick Gill of Trim Garda Station we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme before we leave you today thanks to Pat who's in Dunleary he says I think if we all worked for the government we'd all get big pensions and we'd all get a golden handshake it only goes to those at the top only for ordinary people working they wouldn't be getting those big wages but we get no thanks for it they forget about ordinary people and there's no sense or fair play in in this country. Oh, that's a cynical comment to leave you on, but that's where we leave you. We'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. God willing, bye-bye.
3: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts with CNC carpets. We bring the showroom to you or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more